We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're here. I wish I could keep this feeling. I wish I could keep this feeling. Hey there, we at Blue Wire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire pods, search for us on iTunes or check out bluewirepods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. What up, everybody? Welcome to another week of the Corner Podcast. Kel Dan's we here with the old man Andreas Hale. It is nice to start off the week talking some combat sports, MMA, and boxing on today's show. And of course, a little bit of extra stuff peppered in in the beginning of the show to get the vibes right. It was a good weekend. I feel like it's going to be a busier weekend because we have live MMA. The UFC is back so we have plenty to talk about there but i want to start it start this show out with i don't want to say the highlight of the weekend but it's something very anticipated and that is the jill scott erica badu battle dre i i feel like this I feel like people are hyped for this. I saw your post, not only on Twitter, which usually, you know, takes off, but on Facebook. And I feel like Facebook is the core audience for this. <laughs> this ain't a, this ain't a Twitter-type battle. Like, we're not promoting on there. I feel like Facebook, people are like, yo, we got to get together for this. I feel like the neo-soul, the, the community is gathered on Facebook. And I feel like there's a buzz right there. Yeah, I mean, look, man. When I saw it, I was like, "This is dope." And uh, I, I mean, I'm excited. The problem is, is it Saturday? Or is it on Sunday? 
thought it was the ninth. That's the night of the fight, so I'm not gonna be able to watch this live. So I'm kind of pissed about this. Um, yeah, because it'll be UFC 249 time. But this this is a battle like it's dope, and immediately people were like, "Who's gonna watch who?" And this, that, and the third. And um, talking to Fonte from Little Brother, and actually talking to Quest <laughs> Love too, which is funny because um, you bring Quest now, yo, your your name drops on this show are incredible. Crap, the claw that can. to that one. <laughs> um, but Fonte was like, because he was like, "Who do you think will win?" I was like, "Yo, it's gonna." I think Erica Badu could wash her. Oh, Tay comes come up on. with this this theory though that Jill Scott has cornered the Tom Joyner Morning Crew set, <laughs> and, <laughs> and it is like the music is specifically for that crowd. Whereas Erica Badu started off with Baduism. Um, and my, my favorite album for her, Mama's Gun. And then she started to drift into this hip-hop realm with the New America albums. Um, yeah. Worldwide Underground was kind of weird for a lot of people. And his theory was, like, if she don't play her cards right and does some weird shit, like, Jill could run her off the damn thing if they treat this like a real battle. If not, it'll be just like Babyface Teddy Riley just playing shit. But um, he's right. I started really thinking about Badu's catalog. And if you're a neo-soul person, it's like Badu's first album... And parts of Mama, Mama's Gun, but then it got really, like, overly hip-hop for a lot of people. And they might not fuck with that version of Badu. Like, the New America albums are dope as hell to me, but I can see a lot of people, like, like when Jill plays Golden or Getting in the Way, it could be a rap for a lot of people because the aunties are going to go nuts over that shit. But I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> the aunties are like 35 years old right now. Let's be clear. I checked your whole Facebook mentions. Everyone's like 35 to 40. Yeah, I mean that's that's the. Are, are we auntie age, auntie and uncle age now? I guess. I mean, I all would, my friends are I having kids. Probably say so. I mean, you look, you look at the audience now, and it's like, Baduism came out in '97. I want to say in '96. It was funny because I didn't when that album first came out, and I was in high school. I didn't get it. Like I was like, oh, this is cool. As I got older, I was like, oh yeah, I like this shit. And then it was like, <laughs> like. I mean, I love to see D'Angelo about, it, but that whole that whole genre and like Jill Scott didn't get on until two thousand ninety nine. Who is Jill Cause Scott? She, like, yeah, because she was on the 2000? she was on the original version. You got me, and um, and then Erica Badu was on the other version. And I was Eve about to say which they will both probably play. Yeah, and I mean, look, man, if it turns into a singing contest, Jill's just gonna run her out of here. But Badu's yeah. got some joints, and I'm just kind of looking and I'm like, man. This was like the advent of the, the neo-soul era, and this was the time where, like, Love Jones and all that shit was popping, and this, yeah, I guess it's the, I mean, I guess I'm an uncle, my nephew's over, my, my nephew, the kids are over here right now, and they like, they don't give a shit. Like, I talk about this, it's just like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, who, who's Jill Scott? I'm like, is it is that uh, Trippy Red? I was like, get the fuck out of here. Um... I'm gonna sit the girls down so they can listen to it though. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, my my daughter doesn't know sh- shit about shit. Like she doesn't know who's Erica Badu or who Joe Scott is. Uh, I just had to play her some stuff on our road trip to New York, and she's just now deciphering the New Jack Swing era. Oh so this God. is like perfect time. Like we're, we're at like 95 right now. Hmm. So I, I gotta usher them into this era. But Neo Soul is such a acquired taste which is weird cause it's, I mean it's, it's not I, I think what happens is for a lot of people is and it's a maturity thing more than an age thing at a certain point in my life 
and it happened really early, I just got tired of people yelling at me all the time. So I was just like, all right, cool. I'm going to listen to some, some soul music. And that's why I've always like older, like Curtis Mayfield, Stevie Wonder, and all that stuff. Like other, When you're young and you go out and party, you don't want to hear none of that shit. Like you're, you're not interested in neo-soul when you're at the club and you're like 21. Like that's not part of your life. So, yeah, it, it's I don't know. Like I know I appreciated it growing up. But I don't know, like the new crowd. Like it's gonna, it's gonna be an interesting crowd. The fact that Teddy Riley and Babyface had like half a million people watch the travesty of a sound session, it says a lot. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. I mean, <laughs> it sucks. I'm not gonna get to watch it live because I'll be watching people get punched in the face. But it is what it is. Erica Badu might be doing too much because you know she does the the concerts anyway. Yeah. So she might try to play everything live and acoustic. Um. In which then, if Jill's sound system is worth anything, and you going live and acoustic and actually getting on the vocals, yeah, Jill might watch her. Yeah, again. Jill, Jill's a better singer. Yeah, if Jill decides to start doing acapella stuff, and then because the thing about Jill Scott, if anybody's ever seen Jill Scott live, it ain't the same. Like, it's not what sound. It sounds just like it is on the album, but it's even better because Jill is, like, really singing. She's a singer. Which I had to realize after seeing her live several times, like, yo, she can sing. Badu, I don't know if she's gonna come out and start burning incense and smacking tuning forks together and shit. Like, I don't know what Badu's about to do. She might have turntables, which would be dope, but you know, you gotta play to your crowd. And I, I'm curious who's going to be, like, who's what? Like, for me personally, I like Jill Scott, but Jill, I've never loved the Jill Scott album. I, lo- I like songs, but I've never loved the Jill Scott album. Badu's, Baduism and Mama's Gun. I love those albums. I never loved the Jill Scott album. I liked them really? a lot. Never loved them. Never loved them. That's so tough because who is Jill Scott? Like, I could just zone out to that. I love her voice. Oh, it's beautiful. So I could listen to the whole album and just zone out. Like, the her voice. And that goes into a whole different wave. I just think Jill is sexy. <laughs> we ain't battling off with sexiness. We battle It doesn't music. matter. That, that, that adds it to me i've always thought jill was sexy talked to my pops the other day and when this was announced he was like yo jill was always his his like dream chops and my pops is like 160 pounds you guys just tune into podcast uh any woman above like a buck 70 he calls chops because he's a small tiny dude uh but that's that's my weight class like t- two bills and up is my weight class, so so Jill was just like, Mwah, the chef's kiss to me. This is this is before the video went viral of her with the microphone. Oh God! So I mean, Jill is just she just and Erica does too. Er- Erica has a different type of sexuality. Like her aura is different. It's still very sexy. It's just different. But Jill is just God. I just want to cuddle her. Like that's it. Like I just need, I need, I just need getting close. Like Jill, I feel like we need my boy AJ Springer, our boy from our group chat, AJ in on this conversation because he will feel me on this. Jill's just that size where you just, you just want to pick her up just to show her you can. She's so sexy. Yeah, so this boy. whole time, like if she's singing a cappella and all, bro, I'm just being there, just looking at her sexiness. Dog, you are objectifying women, man. I'm I am not. It's it's a it's a great way to. I'm not like it's not negative. She's just so sexy. We touched on the voice already. We touched on the skill set. The album, I love. You know, I just I can't leave out the sexiness. She knows she's sexy. 
It's not like she don't know. She knows she's sexy. She knows she was doing on that microphone. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm ready for this battle. Um, Marcus Vanderberg, you know, friend of the podcast in the group chat, Reverse Rat Pack, said she was going to get washed. Catalog speaking. Let's just go off a of catalog. No theatrics, no nothing. Song-wise, if you include features, which I'm sure we will. They have to. Because Erica has incredible features. When, when you look at that, I think 20 songs, 20 songs, I think Jill more more than holds her own. Like, I, I just threw on Lupe Daydream the other day. That shit's bonkers. It's, dog, it's tough for me because, again, like, I Jill's got to be very careful with the selections. Like, there's Golden, there's Getting in the Way. You talk about songs like Daydreaming. There's, um, there's, there's songs, but, yo, like, Jill doesn't. Jill has joints, but then, like, Erica has joints. Like, on and on in Lifetime alone are joints. <laughs> then you talk about, like, Liberation with Outkast. Or then you, like, you go to Mama's Ground with uh, Booty and Bag Lady and uh, Green Eyes. And then you go to the Worldwide Underground um, with you and then Window Seat. Like, I feel like Erica has a bigger, more robust body of work, but she has to play her cards right. I can't, honestly, I can't think of 20 Jill Scott th- songs off the rip. I can't. I can think I of mean, like a long walk is the shit. Though. Yeah, but it, it thins out at a certain. For me, in the my way. opinion, it starts to thin out. It starts to thin out. I think Erica's just got back. She just got to play her cards right. She just can't get all weird and shit. She That's she all. needs the features. She needs the features. Like, um, I'm big. I'm a huge big crit fan. Her on higher calling a big big crit fire. So when yeah. when you throw in some of the stuff, uh, he loves me is dope. She could pull out. I'm looking at it. Twelve fifteen, and then surprise me with five. I mean, she's gonna surprise me because I just I think Jill's. I mean, uh, Erica's just got the body of work. Uh, she's got a lot. But of what music. are you pulling out with Erica? You name like oh, you're going through the one album, two albums that you love, but no, I, two, I do, three I albums said, deep, and it starts window to like seat, you playing album seat. cuts. Duh, you could yeah, you could definitely play album cuts, but you can go deep. Like I said, you can play deep cuts. Worldwide Underground has a joint you, which is like nine minutes long. Again, Outcast, Liberation, like that is a classic, and everybody forgets it's in Badu's catalog because she's on that joint off off of the damn equipment I album. Like yeah, duh, there is so much Erica Badu. She's not even listed on that track. Nah. She just was like, yo, let me just come through and body she, this. Dog, she is, like, Erica's just got a tremendous body of work. And it's just, I, I don't see uh, Jill with the same amount of joints. I just don't. Like, oh, man. Gone Baby don't like long. Like, man. Uh, listen. Yeah, I, Erica hits it, on a different level for you. Because some of those, they're good. But it's like... Oh, honey, you forgot the, the joint honey with the, the video with the record covers and she recreates all the record covers. I mean, she got again, she's got like joints with Mad Libs. Like she's got joints with like Mama's hip-hop. Gun is your number one joint. I'm looking I through lo- the track list. I love Mama's Gun. I absolutely like there is Bag Lady, of course. There's Green Eyes. There's uh, My Life. There's Didn't You Know, which Dilla produced. Like again, she got Dilla joints. There's Booty. This orange moon that I mean, she's got a <laughs> clever. Oh man, like she, Erica's got joints. You're the first person I know that likes that over Baduism. 
I, I love. I mean, I love Baduism, but Mama's Gun. When I heard Mama's Gun again, this was her transition for me. Not yeah, even a transition. Where she was like really moving into this hip hop realm, and she wasn't necessarily moving away from Neo Soul. But the fact she had Dilla and the Soul Quarians produce this album, like that's a hip hop head's dream. So it's really going to depend on playing to your audience, because on and on, Erica is a Neo Soul artist. Every as as she progressed in the career, the music started to transition more and more hip hop. So it'll be interesting to see. But I just think Erica's got a lot of variety, and again, I love Jill. I just can't name twenty bangers from her. She gonna have to surprise. But I mean, it's the RZA case, right? Like she got to come through and be like, "Yo, she did that!" Like, wow. So I I have faith in Jill though, and you know, not just because she's sexy. I got I got faith in the catalog. We gonna see what she pulls out. I mean, what and happens when what happens when Erica plays Tyrone? <laughs> Or I mean, Tyrone is Tyrone is the is the tops of the tops for Erica, right? Like, you you got to hit her with the Jill Scott single back. Like, that's where Jill has to play the single. Like, she really has to hit her with a long walk, or he loves me after that. It's it's a lot. But Jill Scott got golden, which is fire. Golden is fire. So I mean, I, I just think the way there's album cuts on that first album. The there's way is cuts. dope. The way is dope. But you're thinning out. We talking about what are we talking about the first album. Now let's talk about some more albums. I'm saying, I mean, we Erica's got an answer this, for everything. And like the second the album's all right. It again, how are you treating this battle? I feel like Babyface on Teddy Riley came through to slap him up the second time. Teddy yeah. played something. Babyface was like, I got something better. Bomb. Well, I mean, but come on. The Primo, other thing about, the other Primo thing about and Rizzo Babyface, wasn't going after each other like that. No, that's what I'm saying. If this just turns into these two playing jams, I'm just going to enjoy it. But if it's like a battle battle, it'll be interesting. Because, like, Babyface was like, oh, you do remixes? Oh. <laughs> like, he was. Yeah, yo, he was. <laughs> yo, he was Shady Petty face. in that shit. <laughs> yeah, Shady Face came out to play. Like, that, that Babyface <laughs> version of Babyface was here to, like. Like, Teddy Riley was trying to prove something where Babyface was just like, oh, that's cute. Well, I'm going yeah. to play this song. I'm going to play this song that I created for white people. Like, it's like, it was so many joints that Babyface had, and you were just like, wow. And then every time Teddy tried to hype it up, Babyface was like, nah, bro, we're just going to cool it down. Light another candle, get another glass of wine. And he played Teddy <laughs> Campbell or something. It was like, damn, like Babyface didn't give Teddy Riley really a shot, even though Teddy's got jams, but Babyface just owned that lane. I don't know even how he's giving him play. credit on shit. He crushed him, yo. Like yeah. he was like, Oh, I remember you did that. That was dope. But I did this with that person and he just bow. Yeah, like, he was like, oh, I, I remember that. Like he was so cool. Like, I remember that, Teddy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, you did remixes? Well, here's the original. And you know he would go like, <laughs> boys and men like end of the world. I was like, what are you like? Oh my god, he's just bodying them. So I don't think this, I don't think these two are gonna shade. Well, you know what? If you remember, it felt like Jill Scott was throwing shots at I think the Chappelle block party, and I don't think it was like real shots. I just think it was like nudges because everybody put those two like next to each other. So yeah. maybe there is gonna be a little competitive aspect here. I mean, I love know? that. I love that movie. Oh, I love it too. I love it too. Yeah. We'll, so we'll see, we'll see what happens. I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, they they can really go. This is this is one of those if they want to go friendly, 
they can really go into unique places with it. Like where they can like duet shit at the same time. Or, you know, Jill can can remix and flip an Erica song and Erica can flip a Jill song. And like give their own unique verse. Like they're they're two of those people where their their catalog is close enough and their vibes are close enough where they can really do some dope shit. That you reminded me of that with the block party. Yeah. Like where yeah, you can sing something dope. Like Erica Badu can come out and sing Daydreaming in her own tone. Yeah. And just blow people's fucking minds. Yeah, that that wouldn't be fair. But you could like, like like you can do that with these two if you wanted to get real funky. So it's man, so many, so many different ways to go. That's gonna be exciting. That's this weekend. Um we're gonna take a quick break when we come back. We're going to talk combat sports and what's happening this weekend. UFC 249 is coming up, so plenty to talk about. We're running through predictions for the whole card. Stay right there. We'll be right back after the break. All right, everyone. We'll get back to the show in a second. But just to let you know, with no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations that you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join the day and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. All right, people, just that quick, we are right back. Time to jump into the MMA. If you guys have been living on a rock, Dana White has been trying everything in his power to come back and bring the UFC back. The first live sport is what he wanted to do in the United States. And it looks like he gets his wish. UFC 249 this upcoming weekend in Jacksonville, Florida. Because Florida opened up the floodgates and you do whatever the hell you want down there. Florida man is now Florida State. Uh, and not my favorite college. It's just running wild. People are fucking walking pet alligators you can do whatever you want down there so dana white's like you know what that's the place i want to be ufc 249 which is supposed to be 250 it's just a combined card of everything that's pretty much been canceled trying to get the best card out there yes it is pay-per-view so if you got the scratch espn uh pay-per-view if you guys want to drop 80 on that i will not due to my obligations and the people who pay me tell you to bootleg this fight so um but there's, you know, go go watch it. If you guys want to scratch your itch of combat sports, we're here to talk about the overall landscape of this card. And Dre, I want to start off with Florida itself. We, we've seen this on social media. We've seen a lot of this. I, we saw a picture of this in New York over the weekend. A lot of these states opening up. People are flooding to get back out there. There's people all along the beach. Some mass, some not mass. I saw the Grim Reaper on the beach. Right. Shit time. is getting crazy. People are not waiting. It's hot outside. They want to get outside. They want to do hood rat shit with their friends. I saw your your 
gif yesterday of when people flock out and coronavirus, you know, spikes. That shit had me dying. Um, what is your thoughts of now the UFC going to Florida and then Florida in itself? Just fuck it. Like, yo, we're open for business. Let's get it. Oh, cracking the claw for this one. Now man. we're getting spicy. Look, man. This, I don't understand. Like, there was a report once Georgia opened their doors to businesses that there was a yeah. thousand new cases immediately. And states that are doing this and, like, opening their business and, like, you look at Huntington Beach and all those idiots down there. Look, <laughs> man. I like outside just like you two. Like, everybody else. But I ain't willing to die over that shit. So, and, and the crazy thing is, for a lot of people, it's not real. And for me, it's like the interesting thing is, it starts hitting closer and closer to home. Uh, I found out one of my friends in New York, she had been battling for the past two and a half weeks. I didn't even know. And mm-hmm. uh, my cousin, his, his best friend from high school, just died of coronavirus. And his, uh, his sister's father died. Of coronavirus. This is just in New York. Like New York is never going to be the same again. It's going to be a long time. I just but, drove through New York. Like oh, me as a kids, but we kind of like bubbled. Like we never left the whip. Um, but we drove through New York, and we had like the sanitizer and the Lysol spray. But we drove down all the way through the city, down the west side up the east side. Took me forty minutes. It's crazy to get from the crib in the Bronx all the way through. All the way back up, because uh, just the story is I had to check on my grandmother. Like, my grandmother's in New York in the apartment. She's by herself, so I got to check on her every weekend. So, uh, uh, me and the kids went down there. We quarantined for, like, 10 days here in the crib. And then now we feel good enough to go and check on her to not get her sick. So, I was bringing her groceries, all this stuff. I'm like, yo, we're just going to drive down and through the entire city. Empty. I mean, drove down through Times Square, drove down Broadway, you know, the west side, every, Central Park, all this shit, empty. The middle of Central Park, packed. The hippies are out. Not many people who look like you and I. Stupid. But uh, everything else, dead-ass empty. It's crazy. Yeah, so, I mean, at this point, if the UFC is going to hold events in Florida, and again, if y'all want to go fight, cool. Like, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to be entertained from a distance. Like, people keep asking me. I did a bunch of shows this already this week on UFC 249. They asked me if I was going, and I was like, no. <laughs> and they was like, would you go? And I was like, no. You don't care? No, I don't give a shit. It ain't that serious to me. Like, I have a family to come home to. I, I ain't running that risk with all them people there that I don't know. That's how the, the virus spread in the first place. It's not like... Everybody's coming from the same place. Everybody's coming yeah. from different places across the United States to come and fight. And then after they lay out on each other for five rounds or three rounds or whatever it is, then you get your cut man sick and then you take your plane and you fly back. Then you give it to your family or you quarantine. I don't know what they're doing. But I'm good, man. Straight up. Like, I want no part of this. So if they want to enjoy it, fine. Me, it's like, dog, stay home. Because if we get a spike, y'all are really not going to get to go outside. So, I don't know. That's crazy, man. I, I, I just stay away from the whole situation. I, I, I don't understand why people can't stay inside. It ain't that serious. It's really not. Like, I, I feel... I don't... I, I wouldn't go to a fight. Like, I don't have to be around people to cover this. That's, that's the one thing we... Like, we can cover this from home. There, there's been plenty of journalists who've been banned for years. Yeah. Still covering this. We'd be all right. Like, we can do the same. 
So I don't got to be there to cover these sports. Uh, a little, I guess a little more so with social media and me doing social media and stuff now when boxing opens up and everything. But you know what? If it means 200,000 less views in a night, it's all good. Because like you said, I, I have the kids here. I have all this here. It's It's a different world. So you can't risk it. And we're not at the point yet where we're trying to risk it. Mm-mm. Not at all. It's just not. It's not. Not worth it. The juice is not worth the squeeze to go there. But there's a handful of fighters that are going there and are risking it. So we have to talk about them and the actual card of UFC 249. They tried to stack the card. I'd say it's a really good card, top to bottom. It is. Maybe it's not as top heavy as we've seen lately. But I, I like it. I like the card. The early prelims. Um, Smiling Sam, Sam Alvey is on there. Sam will fight every other day if you let him. Yeah, just one so win. That, yeah, that, that should be all right. Um, Vincente Luque is on there versus Nico Price. is going to be one hell of a fight. Those are early prelims. Uh, Uriah Hall is on this. Cerrone is on the free card. He was just headlining a pay-per-view against McGregor, what, two months ago? So... There, there's plenty of star power. We'll start at the prelims on ESPN. Just give our predictions throughout the card. Let's start with Uriah Hall versus Jacare. Yes, sir. It's the opening matchup. I mean, that's nuts. Like, really. Like, this shit headlines a lot of UFC on ESPN cards. So, Uriah Hall versus Jacare. Jacare is going to wrap his ass up in a pretzel. Because I don't, I don't believe Uriah Hall is anywhere near being the guy he should be still. He's not going to fool me eight times. Like, you're not pulling the trigger. That one spinning back kick was fucking dope. But at this point, it was lucky. It was lucky not because you landed. Lucky because he threw it. So I don't believe in your eye hall. I think Jacare wins. Jacare. They're not even the same class. Yeah. Um. Well, one thing, first of all, like, I've done a few interviews. People are like, is this the most stacked card in UFC history? I was like, did you see UFC 200? The answer is no. Like A lot of people fell out. I mean, at the top, shit fell out of that card. It, it don't even matter. Because you go, you had Amanda Nunez versus Misha Tate. You had Daniel Cormier versus Anderson Silva. You had Brock Lesnar versus, like, I mean, you had, this, that card was loaded from top to bottom. Even without John Jones versus DC. You had Cain Velasquez versus Travis Brown open the pay-per-view. That card was loaded. That card was stacked. This card is, is solid. But it's not. I mean, there's no bigger card. I mean, how can this be the most stacked card in UFC history and it doesn't have Khabib, Connor, or John Jones on it? <laughs> like, how? It's not yeah. the most stacked. Yeah. It's a good card. No. Again, because the top isn't stacked. The mid, The bottom to mid is stacked. The top just don't got that that oomph to finish it off. I'm just it, it, it's a good card. Like this is a really good card, but you have an interim title fight headlining. Like, like I'm gonna go back to 200 just real quick. Nunez versus Tate, Lesnar versus Hunt, Cormier versus Silva, Aldo versus Edgar, Velasquez versus Travis Brown. That was your main card. Your prelims was Juliana Pena versus Kat Zingano, Kelvin Gastelum versus Johnny Hendricks, T.J. Dillashaw versus Rafael Sunshine, Sage Northcutt versus Enrique Martin. 
Then you had Joe Lozon, Diego Sanchez. Gegar Mousasi was on the fight pass prelims against Tiago Santos. And then Jim Miller versus the fireball kid Takanori Gomi. That is one of the most stacked cards in UFC history. This doesn't yeah, equate to that. that's crazy. This is a really good card. It just, it's not the most stacked. Like, they're trying it. And I get it for marketing purposes. Fantastic. Not the most stacked card. Anyway, Uriah Hall versus Jacare. Look, I, I can't be fooled with Uriah Hall anymore. I, and I think it works with certain fighters. It doesn't work with Jacare. And Jacare is older now. So, you know, if it was another opponent, I'd be like, ah, oh, probably. But Yeah, like maybe you can catch him. Yeah, the, the reality is is that even though Jacare has lost a few fights, he loses against top guys. If you look at Uriah Hall, his last two wins were against Antonio Carlos Jr. and Bevin Lewis. Who? Christoph Jacko was another win. Okay. He lost to Paulo <laughs> Costa, Gegard Musasi, Derek Brunson, and Robert Whitaker. Lost all those guys. His biggest win in his career was when he stopped Gegard Musasi. And then Gegard came out there and just stopped him in the first round. Pissed off Gegard. Uriah's not that good. And it, it's okay to say it. Like, dude. That ultimate fighter finale, or that ultimate fighter season, because he lost finale against Gaslam. That season was seven years ago. That guy's never showing up. The guy that you think is going to show up, he ain't never showing up. So, yeah, I think Jacare either stops him, because Uriah Hall is very susceptible to getting knocked out, or he chokes him out. One of those two things is going to happen. Unless Uriah Hall just channels, like, he goes Super Saiyan on, on uh, Jacare, and, we, like, there's some shit we've never seen before. But, picking, yeah, this is Jacare, man. It's just Jacare. Yeah, it's just Jacare's not championship caliber right now but he's not uriah hall floor either no he just has too many weapons so i yeah i think both jacare there um and to be said i like this card for a lot of the underdogs are you doing your betting show again i did it uh, man i recorded two and a half hours of betting shows today just okay i was about to say you got to bring it back right yeah man i, I was tired i was just like again all right another one like Everybody was so excited about this stuff coming, and I'm not done. I got more this week. But, yeah, I've been doing betting shows already. Yeah, I feel like this is a good one for the underdogs um, the entire night. Next fight, Cookie Monster, Carla Esparza versus Michelle Waterson. I actually like this matchup um, and pairing them. I just think Esparza, you know, what, the first champion in that division in the UFC, but that was her peak. So I'm going to take Waterson to win. If there was an Anton weight division, Waterson would be king. But she's fighting, or queen, excuse me. Um, but she's fighting up in weight. So I think she's still a top five fighter in that division. And she proves it. Absolutely not. Waterson's not a top five straw weight. Waterson what? is. Dog, she's not. Come on, man. She's not. Carla Sparza is going to put her on her back and grind her out for three rounds. It's really simple. Watterson doesn't have the power to keep Esparza off of her. And this, Carla Esparza, the Cookie Monster, is one of the most disrespected women in the UFC, period. She was a champion. She lost to Joanna. Okay, that's fair. Because Joanna's a beast with the hands. But other than that, Carla Esparza just beats up on people. And she just puts it. It's not fun to watch. But she beat Rose Nama Yunus. Like, she's only lost to Tatiana Suarez, Claudia Gadelia. Joanna and Jacek in the UFC, and then the only one that was quest- that sucked was when she lost to Randa Marcos. Other than that, she's beating people. She beat Cynthia Calvillo. Like, she, she's going to put Watterson... She did beat Calvillo, which is a good win. Yeah, and Watterson, so as good as she is, is not... 
She's not great off of her back. She's a good grappler, but she's going to get neutralized by Esparza's wrestling. And she's not like the striker that's going to really keep her off of her. So I think Esparza is going to... It might get dicey like in the first or second round, the longer it stands up. But I think Esparza is going to work her over and just put her on her back. That's old school Esparza. Like, I, I mean, that's the only Esparza we know. She don't fight no other way. That's it. No, I think you put... I think people could put hands on her and I give them Michelle Waterson. She's not in the class of those women you mentioned that beat Cookie Monster, but she's not far down from that. The only thing that keeps her far down from that is the weight class. She's too small, man. She's too small. She's always been but too I, small. But I think she'll still be just right to get this win against Cookie Monster. Because Cookie Monster is one-dimensional. Like, she ain't throwing hands. So, um... Next fight, heavyweight matchup, Olenek versus Verdum. I like this matchup a lot. Verdum, I don't know. Ever since he did the corny, cheesy face, he ain't been the same. So I, I'm going to go with Olenek by TKO. Somebody's getting washed. So I'm, I'm going to say Olenek's winning this by TKO. Absolutely not. This is another one. No, I don't see that at all. Olenek is a trash striker. And Verdum is actually a pretty good striker. Olenek has the Ezekiel choke. Verdum is like a fifth degree. <laughs> that's it. Like, one one move that's like arguably the most, you know, you're not difficult pull, move to pull off. You're not going <laughs> to pull that off against a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt like Verdum. It's not going to happen because Verdum's not going to be stupid enough to allow that fight to go to the mat and, and get caught up in that position. Verdum's going to punch him up. There's two things that's going to happen. It's either going to be really quick and devastating knockouts. This fight is going to be absolute trash because Olenek's not a good striker. They're both 42 years old. They're old as shit. They've been through the ringer, but Olenek doesn't, man, he, he he doesn't crack. So, I mean, this ain't this should be easy work for Verdum if he stands there and strikes with him. I picked TKO because Verdum is going to stand there and strike with him. But, I mean, maybe he could go to the ground after Verdum gets cracked and then Olenek wraps his ass up. Dude, who is Olenek, so Olenek knocked out? I will tell you right now. Jared Rosshold. Okay. That's it. Is that it? For, well, in, in recent memory, yeah. I mean, you have to go back to, like, 2013. But Jared Rochelle in the UFC in 2014. Since then, all of his victories have been by submission. You know who's not getting submitted? Fabrice. But Hilbert. it's not like he's he's necessarily wrestling them to the ground. But, dog, he's not submitting Fabrizio Verdun. It's not happening. He doesn't strike that well. Verdun clearly is a much better striker now. Clearly. I will tell you this. Let's see, Olenek. I mean, Maurice Green, submission, submission, submission. Yeah, he loses a lot by KO. That's dark. But Rochelle is probably the last one he KO'd, submission. A lot of these guys, yeah, Ezekiel Choke, real naked choke. He puts them down with yeah, the but the, punch, though. The tr- jiu-jitsu is trash. Like, Verdum is a decorated jiu-jitsu practitioner. He ain't falling for no goddamn Ezekiel Choke. Unless he gets rocked. And I don't see that happening. Let's see what Verdum has done lately. Now you got to be interested. Volkov lost by KO. Miocic KO'd him. Yeah, all right. I mean, look who he's lost. I mean, he's lost to top-tier guys. Lost to Reem. Reem looked good in his last fight, though, so I can't even hold that again. Reem is a weird-ass dude where Reem will look good for two seconds. And then um, Walt Harris, he beat the big ticket, huh? Yeah, he submitted him in like Game a by minute. Submission. That's what yeah. I'm saying. It was quick. But it, it, the, the point Tybura. is, 
All right, I'll flip. I'll flippy floppy this. Yeah, I'll give it to you. You talked me into it for Doom for the win. Even though I like Ola, I f- I'm gonna feel shitty when Olenek wins, but I'll flippy flop to Verdum on that one. Um, main card headliner Cerrone versus Pettis. Again, Cerrone's just coming off of a pay per view. Did crazy numbers. It was Connor. Uh, I don't like his statements that said he he wasn't up for the fight. Yeah, that bothers me a lot. It's the it's the biggest fight of his career. Yeah, he just wasn't there. But that's that that can't be excuse for that fight. No, it can't. But it could be your excuse for a lot of other fights. For that fight, no, no, it can't. You he arguably waited four years for this shit since he was talking trash, and we saw him in Vegas, right? You're too small for this division. You're too small for this weight class. And Conor went up another division. He said, "I'm still not too small. I'm gonna wreck you in 40 seconds." That that's one of those. I'm here for the paycheck type. And, uh, shit, Stephen A. Smith got crushed for that. But, lo and behold, looks like he might not have been far off. Yeah. Because the man didn't want to fight. It. You know what? I, I Cerrone should be Pettis, but I, I don't like those comments. Fuck it, I'm going with Anthony Pettis. Yeah, I'm picking Pettis. Cerrone should choke his ass out, but no, I'm uh, going I'm, with Pettis. Look, Pettis, both these guys, this is a legacy fight. These are two guys that won't be in title contention anymore. Um, they've had their run. We've pretty much seen the best of them. But this is a welterweight fight where Cerrone's actually kind of small. And Pettis is not too far removed from knocking out Wonderboy, which still shows flashes of brilliance here and there. And if we, everybody recalls, Pettis kicked Cerrone's liver into the third row in that first fight. Quick. Finished Cerrone real quick. Oh, yeah. I think the same thing's going to happen. Look, I think Cerrone saying that he wasn't there for Connor, but I think the fact of the matter is he's been in too many wars and it's catching up to him. And he can't do what he used to do anymore. So he, right now he's saying in his head in that interview with Akimoto, he said, my mind wasn't there for the fight, but your body wasn't there. And your body's not going to be there for this fight either. And I'm picking Pettis to stop him. I think it's like the end of the road for Cowboy. There's no end of the road for Cowboy because they know it keep cutting him a check. So, I mean, unless this is the end of the road for winning. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I hate that statement. That was that was a marquee fight. That was red panty night. Yeah. And and you treated it like it was nothing? Nah, like, I, I, I don't like that mindset. So, yeah, I'm going with Pettis in that one. Uh, main card time, we have Greg Hardy versus Jorgen DeCastro. It's a showcase fight for Greg Hardy. Give me... You know, if, if I'm betting, I'm taking DeCastro because Hardy's hit or miss. But... Um, I'm not betting, so give me Greg Hardy by a knockout. First round. Yeah, even Isn't if I'm this like the consensus? Dude, the, the reality is it's Greg Hardy versus cardio. Uh you're gonna that's, that's what it is. Yeah, it's that's a, exactly what it is. And an inhaler or something like that. Like the thing I'm most concerned about is Greg Hardy's conditioning. And everybody remembers like he used an inhaler in his last fight. This is not yeah. the time to be needed to use an inhaler. Like to have respiratory issues in a coronavirus pandemic and you're still out here fighting. The UFC served this guy up a, a, a tea fight. They teed this shit up for him. Greg Hardy's probably going to decimate this man in a matter of minutes, if seconds. So, yeah, Greg Hardy by knockout. Like, DeCastro, we, come on, man. You didn't, you weren't brought here to win. That's for goddamn sure. No, no, not at all. <laughs> by no means. The showcase fight. Um, Jeremy Stevens, Calvin Qatar. Give me Jeremy Stevens. I, 
you mentioned some, you know, I think it was Asparza and who she lost to and her record. And, you know, she's only lost to like some of the top fighters. I would say Jeremy Stevens in that same realm. They've done no, and maybe Jeremy Stevens wants this, but he's gone through the gauntlet. In his weight classes, yo, Cub Swanson, I'm going through his couple fights. Cub Swanson, Charles Oliveira, both losses. Beat Dennis Bermudez. Lost to Max Holloway. Uh, beat Henan Burrell. Lost to Edgar. Uh, lost to Moicano. Beat Melendez. Beat uh, the Korean super boy or whatever. Josh Emmett beat him. Lost to Aldo. Lost his beat. No contest with Yair, lost to Yair. That's 10 legit fights. I'd argue he's had the hardest road his last 10 fights of anyone in the UFC. There's not one gimme in his last 10 fights. So you're picking him? No, I say he's going to lose to Calvin Qatar. <laughs> he's going to lose. I mean... Uh, but Qatar is lost his beat. Everybody loses Cool. No, Yeah, everyone loses. Lost to, lost to Moicano. Cool. That, but beat Yamas, his res his resume is not that of Jeremy Stevens. It's not. His best win is Andre Feely. True, but here's here's the problem with Jeremy Stevens. Like a lot of those fights that you mentioned, he lost them all. Like he's he did he, he lost a lot of those. He lost, but them. those he lost seven out of ten. Yes, but it's fucking tough. That's a that's a tough road. I mean, dude, he's the perennial gatekeeper. Like that's where Jer if you beat Jeremy Stevens, it's like all right, cool. We can start talking about like top ten, top five. That that's what you have to do when you beat De Jeremy Stevens. Calvin Kidder is like a guy who boxes extremely well, controls distance well, has great octagon control, and puts punches together well. I'm not saying Stevens can't win because he's still got dynamite in both of his hands and his knees, but I think Calvin, if he just controls the distance, it can outpoint him. Because the problem with Jerry Stevens has always been his cardio. He loses a little bit of steam, um, and he needs you to come at him, and I don't think Calvin's going to make that mistake. So I don't think Calvin Cater is going to just use his range, his distance, use his, his strong boxing ability, and win a decision. I don't want to agree with you this whole time. I'm taking Jeremy Stevens then. Fuck it. I'm on the other way. I, I listed his whole list of achievements to say that he's had a tough 10 fights. I'm going with him. All right, good luck. Little Heath. Um, <laughs> <laughs> next fight, Nganu versus Rosenstruck. Nganu's taking his fucking face off. I mean, Rosenstruck should have lost to um, Reem the last fight. Caught him with, what, five seconds left? Yeah. Yeah, now nah, Nganu's washing him. Yeah, and it's only three rounds. Nganu's not gassing. He's taking his face off. My only concern is Rosenstruck is actually a very decorated kickboxer. And if, if good luck. If Rosenstruck tried to keep his distance because I can't get the damn fight with Derek Lewis out of my head with Ngano and how trash that fight was. Like we were so excited for that fight and it was garbage. Yeah. And I just really hope that Ngano's gotten past that, like scared to pull the trigger shit, and then goes out there and just comes after Rosenstruck. I'm not sure You know who's a you know who's a decorated kickboxer? Overeem. Yeah. Ask him how that went. But, I mean, shit, Overeem ate them both. Like, Rosenstruck knocked him out and Ngannou knocked him out. It's a matter of, is Rosenstruck going to engage and leave himself? Because that's what Overeem did. The shit got good to him. He's throwing the jab. He left one out there a little bit too long and never saw his fist again. The next thing he knew, he was dead. So It took 24 minutes and 55 seconds. Yeah, well, what I'm saying with Rosenstruck, he, he, it, that was a kickboxing match he was losing with Overeem. Where Ngannou, technique-wise, he's, he's like Mike Tyson 
very crude with his striking, but if he hits you, he's going to kill you. That being said, I think it's a matter of time in 15 minutes that he's going to catch Rosenstruck and put him to sleep. I don't know if Rosenstruck can put Ngannou to sleep because you're going to have to put yourself into danger to do that. And that's not a risk that a lot of people should be willing to take. More power to Rosenstruck if he does so, but there's a high possibility if he steps in that punching zone, he's going to get knocked out, and I'm picking Ngannou. You know why it's so easy for me? Because Rosenstruck is not going to take him down. No. So you're going to strike with him for 15 minutes. You're going to get your face put in the front row. I would say on someone's lap, but there's no fans. <laughs> so <laughs> you're going to have your face put in the empty seats where fans should be. So that's what I'm taking Francis Ngannou for. Um, Co-main. And five rounds. Now we're going to five rounders. Uh, Cejudo versus Dominic Cruz. Cruz fighting for the first time. I had this the other day, but fuck it. I'm just saying three and a half years. Yep. Uh, give me Dominic Cruz. One, I don't believe Cejudo beat Mighty Mouse. Cruz clearly is, is as herky-jerky and weird and crazy as Mighty Mouse was. I, I think... Unless Cejudo could really ground Cruz and wrestle him, in which I love Cruz's sprawl and his wrestling evasion, just kind of defense. So I don't see him getting him in a good enough angle to take him down. I'm going to say Dominic Cruz wins this fight by decision four rounds to one. Yeah. I like Dominic Cruz that much better than I like Henry Cejudo. Cejudo's right place, right time, right decision against Mighty Mouse. He shouldn't have won that fight. He caught someone being juiced up and drained going down. And then he had one hell of a performance um, against, you know, when he won the Bantamweight title. But even, what was that, against Moraes? A hell of a performance. But even then, I, I don't believe him like I should. That's one good performance in his last four or five fights. I think he won a split decision before then. Give me Dominic Cruz. I don't care about ring rust. I don't care about the layoff. I agree with you. And I, I would talk. I talked about this heavily on the show that I did today because they talked about how great Cejudo was. So I was like, is he really? I was like, let's really like break this down with Henry Cejudo. Dillashaw was drained, like you mentioned. A lot of us mm-hmm. didn't think he'd beat Demetrius Johnson. Uh, the Marlon Moraes fight, if everybody remembers, he was getting washed before he came back. And Moraes gassed. Yeah, Rice is simply, for a round and a half, right? He was getting washed. I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, and then he just he, Rice gassed and Cejudo caught him. Cejudo's not an excellent striker. That's that's point one. Point two is Dominic Cruz's footwork. Listen, the only thing that's going to beat Dominic Cruz in this t- fight is Father Time. That's the only way I see Cejudo beating him, if Cruz just can't move like he used to. Because if Cejudo yep. can't get his hands around him, I think Cruz dances around him and just pieces him up. The other thing is... With Dominic Cruz, he's lost two fights in his MMA career. Uriah Faber early in his career and Cody Garbrandt. The thing about the Cody Garbrandt thing is something that we've mentioned before and that you were very vocal about. Team Alpha Male spent like a decade trying to figure out how to beat Dominic (laughs) Cruz. They they wait like Dillashaw, uh, uh, Garbrandt, Faber, Benavidez. They all had all this time to prepare for Dominic Cruz. Henry Cejudo has had one camp. In quarantine to prepare for Dominic Cruz. He said four weeks. He a key point. He wasn't preparing for Cruz. He was preparing for Aldo. Yeah. So he said four weeks. No way. With with this quarantine and the fact that I don't know who you're going to get as a training partner to emulate that. Who? Who are you going to get to emulate <laughs> Cruz's style? I just Word. I don't see it. And people are like, yo, listen. Cruz has spent his whole career injured. 
Like, he just kind of disappears and comes back two years later and then just wins the title back. He's done it yep. multiple times. And Cejudo, man, I'm sorry, guys. He's not that good. He's not that good. Like, he, he just is And maybe at 125, he is because he's a little stronger. At 135? No. That's the other no. issue. Because nope. who was the last person to beat Demetrius Johnson before Henry Cejudo? Dominic Cruz. And you know yep. what Dominic Cruz did him? He muscled his ass around the ring. Cruz is ta- taller, longer, faster, with great takedown defense, and an excellent scramble. We talk about Cejudo's wrestling, but the thing that we don't talk about is his inability to keep people down. Cejudo's yep. got terrible top game. It's awful for MMA. Yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't try anything when he's down there. Um, we saw that with Mighty Mouse being able to pop back up. He was never worried about submissions or getting stopped when taken down. And then you look at Dominic Cruz. You mentioned all his attributes. He is smarter yeah. than every other fighter. And then you, Every single one in that division. Do you not think that Dominic Cruz has been sitting there doing commentary, looking at Henry Cejudo and was like, I'm going to fuck him up. Like, you know he has. <laughs> like, Dominic Cruz yeah. is extra cerebral. And the only reason why he lost to Cody Garbrandt is because Cody Garbrandt was a younger version who had spent years preparing for that fight. Years. And had an amateur boxing pedigree that was beyond what most people have when they face Dominic Cruz. So who does none of that shit? If he can't get his hands on Cruz, it's going to be a long night. Cruz by decision and new, once again, bantamweight champion of the world. It's going to fuck everybody up. Bye-bye, Triple C. It's a wrap. Yeah. Dunzo for him. Um, you might as well go back down and try to get the belt back down there. Like, I, I don't see it happening. And I, I, don't, I don't know, man. Cody Garbrandt, like you said, had the perfect storm. I, I could say it could be a wash by Cruz on Cejudo. I don't think he stops him. But you look at that first Mighty Mouse fight and how that went. Cejudo was just lost out there. Yeah, and, and Cruz as a striker is more dynamic than Mighty Mouse. Mighty Mouse is more well-rounded. Cruz as a striker is more dynamic. It's just, dude, it's really a matter of time. Because if, if, it's, if it's father time, because Cruz is 35, he's been out for three years, he hasn't won in four, that could be an issue. Because we really don't know what we're going to get out of Cruz. But if Cruz is any remnant of who he was... Cejudo's just... I don't know how he's going to get his hands around Because the thing or- that Dominic Cruz does better than a lot of people, which... Yeah, we always talk about the footwork, but you never see Dominic Cruz's back against the cage. It doesn't happen. No, it's too fast. Yeah. It's too quick. Like, it's it could go the opposite way, too. We talk about father time, but DC, you know, was a champion at 40. Yeah. He can arguably be a champion again at 41. You, you look at Cruz and you say, how much time have you had in the octagon? And he's had like four fights in eight years. So since 27 through 35, he's had four fights. He could just be fresh as hell. He could be. And go on a three-year run like he's 28 still. I'm banking on it. I'm, I'm picking, <laughs> dude, I'm picking like, Dominic Cruz. People think I'm crazy. Too. I'm like, so, nah, this, is, this no, is not that difficult for me. It makes too much sense. So, yeah, I mean, you know, unless it's one of those cases where you got to beat the champ to beat the champ and the, and the refs, or excuse me, the judges don't see it that way. I, I just don't. I don't see it going that. Way. I see Cruz making this fairly easy to judge and, and winning the title. So uh, after that, then we have main event: Ferguson versus Gaethje. <laughs> We're, I think we agree on this one too. Uh, Tony Ferguson is an amazing fighter. Hasn't lost in God knows how long. 
what, 10 fights, 11 fights? 12. Um, 12 at this point. Jeez, Louise. A couple injuries, weird circumstances, including the coronavirus, haven't allowed him to face Habib for the title. This is another interim title fight. And I, I like, you know, Tony's ground game. If Habib did take him down and he could wrap him up and maybe have a chance, I still don't think he beats Habib if, if they fight. But against Justin Gaethje, I think Gaethje's a problem for anyone in that top five. And he's going in there to kill and be killed. And I think he kills. I, I, I think he knocks out Tony Ferguson. Yeah, um... So I, I was doing some research. I, this is MMA math. This is just the way it is. Tony Ferguson has won 12 in a row, right? Yep. And we're going to go through a few of these names real quick. So after he lost to Michael Johnson in 2012, which is almost exactly five years ago, I mean, uh, eight years ago, he beat Mike Rio, big deal. He beat Katsunori Kakuno, so what? He beat Danny Castillo in a fight that I watched recently. He didn't win. I thought Danny Castillo won that fight. Okay, fine. <laughs> Split decision. Whatever. Sure. He beat Abel Trujillo. So, Glayson Tebow. All right, whatever. Josh Thompson over the hill. Now, this is where the streak happens. Where people really started focusing. The Edson Barbosa fight. Uh, we were, it was the night before the McGregor uh, at Mendez fight, I think. Aldo. Aldo. Okay. Yep. And we were all in the December. media room watching this fight. And it, they, yep. these two were a bloody mess. And Ferguson wrapped up Barbosa and choked him out. And people were like, oh, shit. He's for real. Because that's when everybody started noticing the winning streak. Then he fought Lando Venata. And Lando Venata put hands on him in the first round. Where Late Tony, replacement, right? Yes. Like just throwing in there. He put hands on Tony Ferguson. Ferguson still won, but it was a late replacement. Put hands on him. Now here's where it gets interesting. Rafael Dos Anjos, who was a shell of who he was. He had won one fight before he fought Tony Ferguson. Kevin Lee was young but wasn't ready for an interim title fight and then had possibly staph infection heading into that fight. He did have staph infection. We all saw it. I'm just saying, but it's something that we saw, and it was just like, okay, it kind of takes away from that win. Anthony Pettis Mm -hmm. was not rolling when he fought Tony Ferguson. Anthony Pettis was a shell of his former self. Same with Donald Cerrone. So what is Tony Ferguson's biggest win? (sighs) Dos Anjos? And again, you go back to the Dos Anjos fight, and you look at it, and you're like, well, that wasn't the Dos Anjos. He hasn't been the same. Yeah. He lost to Tony Ferguson after he got knocked out for the title by Eddie Alvarez. This is not a Tony Ferguson. Connor would have washed his ass. This is not a Tony Ferguson who is beating up guys at their peak. He's beating guys who have either just come off a loss or have just won one fight. Aside from Kevin Lee, everybody that Tony Ferguson has beat has been on the wrong side of a loss or just won a single fight. This is crazy to me because it, it's almost a benefit of circumstance is why he's won 12 fights in a row. Whereas Justin Gaethje, listen, Justin Gaethje hasn't been here as long, but he's already fought Dustin Poirier, Eddie Alvarez, Michael Johnson, Donald Cerrone, Edson Barbosa, and James Vick. If you really want to slice this up, you can argue that Justin Gaethje might have a better resume than Tony Ferguson, despite losing to former champions, to a former yeah. champion Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier, who fought Khabib. Now, that being said, I also was watching Tony Ferguson fights. Yo, he gets hit a lot, a ton. Like he's not, but this, he's not this guy who uh, 
it, his submission a, skills help. No, his submission skills are fantastic. And Saves him a lot. He's also a cardio machine, which is why I really hate that this fight is happening on this coronavirus camp. Is because Fergus is used to training by himself. So he'll be ready. I don't know where Justin Gaethje is going to be at cardio-wise. But the issue is this. Ferguson gets touched a lot in his fights. Pettis touched him. Everybody touches Tony Ferguson. None of them have the power of Justin Gaethje. None of them. No. The other issue is... When Ferguson usually wins, he gets the fight to the canvas. Justin Gaethje is a phenomenal wrestler. He just doesn't use it. Like yeah. he, he has great takedown defense. He just doesn't use it. So what I'm seeing here is the, wor- the worst thing that could happen to Tony Ferguson is a Justin Gaethje who realized that you can't go balls to the wall in every fight, and he learned his lesson against Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier in two fights where he was winning a back-and-forth battle and then got stopped. Yeah. Now he's had more, them both rocked. Yeah, now he's measured, and that makes him even scarier than before, because now he's weight picking his spots. Now he knows, like, oh, you know what? If I'm calm, these sh- shots are gonna come. And somebody like Tony Ferguson, who's gonna throw that funky shit at you, I'll wait for it, and I'll check you out, and I'm gonna put you to sleep. I think Justin F- Gaethje stops Tony Ferguson and fucks up the whole Khabib Ferguson bag. This is a bad fight for Tony Ferguson. I agree, man. I, I definitely agree. Looking back, Cerrone, the doctor stoppage, like he was piecing up Cerrone, but Cerrone's not what he was. I I remember that Kevin Lee fight. I, I'll watch it again dude, this week. Watch that it. Kevin Lee fight, I think Kevin Lee won the first two rounds, went for the takedown, and ended up in a choke. Watch the fight again. Kevin Lee was piecing up Tony Ferguson. Right. And then ended up shooting for a takedown, left his neck out there, and got fucking choked out the the credit that i'll give tony ferguson which is why not that he's because he's the favorite right but i i was like put your underdog money on gaethje by knockout because there's no other way gaethje wins unless it's by knockout if it goes five rounds yeah, tony no. ferguson's winning but right. the only thing i have to question is how good is tony ferguson's chin because he's been durable as hell so if he can take the punishment he makes this a very chippy fight but man Justin Gaethje, I dude, I keep saying this. Different level. Of, you mentioned it. Who? We'll go down the list. Cerrone catches you, tries to choke you out. Cool. He knocks you out. He's patient, or you know, he rocks you. He's patient. Pettis, overly patient at times, right? Yeah. Kevin Lee still becoming coming into his own as a striker, and he wasn't a hundred percent. Dos Anjos isn't a great level striker. He caught some people, but he was. Never a great level striker. Venata caught him. He got saved by the bell. Venata couldn't catch him again. Barbosa, patient level striker. No one on this list puts pressure on you like Justin Gaethje. When Gaethje rocks him, that pressure is not going to stop. Gaethje will wave at him, tell him to get back on his feet, put his hands in his arms, get chest to chest, and said, let's thump. It's going to be a whole different world. Yeah, man. Yeah, and I think he fucks up the bag. And if Ferguson wins, then cool. Now you earned it. Yeah. I, I just think, like, I love the record. I love the 12 fight winning streak. Because, look, man, you can only fight who's in front of you. And Ferguson has fought everybody they put in front of him and won. But, man, this is when you run to a buzzsaw. And that, that 12 fight winning streak ain't like a John Jones winning streak where John Jones was just beating on champions and dominating them. Ferguson gets touched. And I will argue this. Until Gaethje proves me wrong. He's one of the most... Well, he's the most dangerous fighter in the lightweight division. And that includes Khabib Nurmagomedov. Because 
Khabib's going to smother you and then beat you down. Gaethje can hit you with one shot and the fight's over. And the other thing people forget about is those brutal leg kicks that Gaethje throws. I don't know if he'll use them against Ferguson because Ferguson's a little taller and longer. But those leg kicks, there are so many ways that, that Gaethje can break you down standing up. He's a terrible matchup for everybody. All you got, but you have to get him out of his game. You have to get him to go to war and make, force him to make a mistake. If you don't, and he sits there and picks you apart, look, man, the last three fights didn't go out the first round for Justin Gaethje. And he just picked the spots. Ferguson's going to have to play this smart. If he tries that cute shit and tries to throw a spinning elbow like he's been talking about, he's going to get fucked up. <laughs> yeah, but listen, I'm counting on it. So, uh, no, that's the fights for this weekend. Let's take a quick break. Shout out to Blue Jew, the sponsor. Uh, when we come back, we're just going to touch on boxing real quick to wrap up the show. Thank you guys for staying with us. Be right back. All right, we'll jump right back into the show. But first, guys, are you looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? Get to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they'll work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office to spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. All right, we are here to wrap up the show. A little bit of boxing talk. I had a ton of MMA talk, so that was great. Touch on boxing before we bounce straight. Not too much going on. Still no live fights. We cracked my, uh, truly, I'm breaking away from the claw for this last one. Cracked this open. Just a couple of things that we've been seeing around the timeline that we have to talk about in boxing. The first one, which was a good question on Twitter, and uh, I think Leonard Ellerby posed a question in which now that boxing is planning this eventual comeback and it looks like we'll be back in june or july how will this play out without fans and will officiating get better now that no fans are in attendance because officiating has been a problem we've seen triple g we've seen him versus canelo in which you just went back and you told us i think last episode where you went back and you scored the fights again no sound no nothing and triple g won both do you think this benefits fighters because it gives a clear indication of who wins and judges can't be swayed? It's going to be interesting, man, because just like in MMA, because you don't have the benefit of judges in MMA right now. I mean, the judges, crowds. Crowds are the ones who dictate when the referee stands up to fight. It's not the referee. For the most part, when the crowd starts booing, the referee gets restless and the referee decides to stand them up or to release their clinch along the fence. Now there's no crowd, so you have to figure it out. In boxing... Because it's just two guys standing and punching with each other, the challenge becomes, are you judging the crowd or are you judging the punches landed? And if you can't hear shit, what are you judging? So I think we're going to learn a lot about judging. I think we're going to see some crazy scorecards with no fans. I think, like, we're going to see a few Adelaide Bird cards where you're like, what the fuck were you watching? It's going to happen. I don't know if we get to learn who really won. I have no idea because... I don't know how many judges are doing this without fans to begin with. They're so used to having fans there. 
that now that they're doing it without fans and now it's a whole new world now you're just kind of judging off your vantage point like I was watching the Canelo Triple G fights and again I picked Triple G to win both those fights uh, 115-113 and what I noticed is that they were still very close rounds right extremely close rounds where in the first fight Canelo would get off to this fast start and Triple G would be consistent methodical shoot the jab and put on pressure second fight Canelo met him in the middle of the ring but he was gassing out in that fight as well if you're a judge it's just really a matter of what you favor. If you look at a fight and say, man, he started fast, I remember that. Or if you remember who closes quick. So in boxing, I think, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how judges score fights. And I think we're going to get some stupid scorecards and people are going to bitch and complain and nothing's really going to change. Officiating is always going to suck because it's going to be hard for judges to really decide on who wins rounds because they are really that close in real time. No, I... Adelaide Bird aside... I feel like this is a benefit for, you know, a lot because we've been at those Canelo fights, right? We've we've been at the Mayweather fights. There's Pacquiao fights a, a lot as well. Like, every time they throw the crowd oohs and ahs, not lands, every time they throw. And just being human, you are swayed by that. And there's fights where I look and I'm like, yo, that round's so close. I'm going to give it to this guy. And maybe the crowd does have an effect on that. So looking at it now, it's like they ha they have nothing else to focus on. Now it becomes, as a fighter, what does this mean for you? Are you hyper paranoid now to say, like, I have to be more crisp or technical because I just can't live off of the big punches? Um, you can't give away rounds like Deontay Wilder. If it's close, then maybe you're a little paranoid on how that goes. As a fighter, a lot of fighters feed off of the crowd. You don't have that anymore. It's a glorified sparring session. So now it becomes, dare I say, like more like Olympic boxing. Will we see more guys outpoint people? Instead of going for the highlight KO. I... It's going to be weird. Teofimo Lopez is on record saying he doesn't want to fight without fans in the crowd. He didn't stipulate how many fans. And maybe we get to the point in September, October, November, where it could be like the Nicaragua fights that we saw two weekends ago, where it was 10% capacity. I think everyone had to have eight chairs in between them. And that's some fans. And I'm maybe that's what he's waiting for. But I, I don't know. I don't know how it affects boxers and, and being hype and rallying. Because it affects so many other sports. Is that I'm not sure if that's a thing in boxing. Is momentum a thing? Like crowd carrying momentum? Absolutely. Absolutely. I know it is in basketball and football and hockey. I, I, I can't pinpoint how it is in boxing. Guys feed off of energy, man. And if there's no energy, it's hard to feed off of something. So I think absolutely, like... It's hard for guys to get up for fights without the crowd. Like, some people love that energy. But you've ta I've talked to a lot of other fighters where they completely block out crowds. So it's really a matter of, you know, what you prefer. And for a lot of people, like, you talk about Olympic boxing, but remember, like, the Olympics is still in front of tons of fans. This is not. This will be nobody. You know, it, it's, there's, not, there's yeah. nobody there. So except your corner. And I think that's the other interesting thing. For a lot of fighters, MMA and boxing... You know what I can hear now when I'm fighting? I can hear your corner. 
I can hear exactly what they're telling you. Two, throw the one. Shoot for the takedown. Yeah. I hear all that shit. <laughs> yeah. I hear everything but I mean, your corners tell How me. much do you listen? Like, when I played high school, college football, I was so zoned in. Only thing I could hear is my defensive coordinator and no crowd, no nothing else. Like, I would add tunnel vision and, weirdly enough, tunnel hearing. Like, I, I, I never heard the opposing team's calls or play calls or even offensively. I was looking at formations uh, or defense. I was looking at the offensive formations, but I wasn't paying attention to the quarterback's audibles or their calls and trying to pick up keys. I was zoned in. So I'm not sure how much these guys even hear that. Might actually have to have a fighter on or something. But how much do you even hear that? Because in sparring, people yell all the time. Does that matter? I mean, some people do. Like, some people are very... I've talked to a lot of fighters who are very acute. They can they can hear what's going on. They sense a lot of things. Whereas other fighters are just completely zoned in. The only person they can hear sometimes is a trainer's voice. But it really yeah. depends, man. This is a different world now. This is, this is going to be very different. So I don't know how it'll play out. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I'm definitely interested to see how it all goes. Um, another thing that came up in the boxing world that I figured... I'd ask you about no one closer than you to this situation. Um, the zone and Matchroom and their plans going forward. Eddie Hearn came out and said, personally, him it's not like yo, this is gonna happen. This isn't a plan. It's nothing. But he would like to see Canelo just take on Triple G when stuff gets ramping up. Once boxing to come out with a bang, he think this is the matchup. Uh, the Billy Joe Saunders talk and all this stuff, which I guess was never officially finalized, um, would just go by the wayside. And it'd be Canelo Triple G. In your opinion, is this the best return fight for Canelo? Yeah. Well, okay. It doesn't add anything to him, though, right? Like, it, it, he could only lose something. He's not gaining a belt at 168 like he would against Callum Smith or Billy Joe Saunders. He's not... Finding someone at 160 where he can gain a belt. He can only lose something. So it's tricky because after Gennady Golovkin fought Sergei Derevchenko and got hurt to the body and people were like, oh, Gennady's washed, there was a little bit less interest in a Canelo Triple G3. But I've said this before. I don't know if it's true or not. It's just how I feel. I just truly don't believe that Golovkin was up for that fight. And I think he'd be incredibly up for, for a Canelo fight. And it's the fight that people still want to see. Canelo has been to the Mayweather school of thought, where he's very careful in how he picks his opponents. So for him, the best fight is probably not a Golovkin fight. But the weirdest thing happened recently when Jonathan Banks, Triple G's new trainer, did an interview and said, we don't want the Canelo, well, not we. He doesn't want the Canelo fight immediately. He wants two fights before Golovkin can fight Canelo. And for me, I'm like, you're out of your hmm. fucking mind. That's a long time. Golovkin's 38. You talk about father time, yeah. yeah. Golovkin's 38, man. Two fights, and barring, like, he just is coming off of a calf injury, which is the reason why he couldn't announce his next fight. You got to do this fight with Canelo now. Because it's yeah. just, like, maybe you take a tuna fight if you, like, you really have to. But, dog. Two fights is May, so it's not crazy. But two fights is crazy because you don't know with Triple G. Like, because that you have to be in sync with Canelo. Keith Thurman said an interesting thing on uh, the Achenbrock show that we have over at The Zone. Keith Thurman said, this is the first time where everybody will be on the same level playing field when boxing starts again. 
everybody will be in a place where they haven't fought for multiple months because schedules are are schedules are usually off in boxing like some guy fights in january a guy fights in march then they fight in july one guy has had a shorter training camp one guy hasn't now everybody's on the same clock so if canelo and triple g are in a fight like what's using the tune-up you just fight each other what do you need a tune-up for you both have been on the bench so fight each other so i think that's what should happen um and i think there's no like if you believe that Triple G is washed up, if you're Canelo, you take advantage of it and you knock him out. If you really believe that. And if you're and if you're the Triple G side and you have concerns about Triple G aging, you take the Canelo fight now. What the fuck is the worst that can happen? There's really nothing left for Golovkin to do but fight Canelo. That's it. And prove that the first two fights were flukes. That's it. And that he actually won. So go out there and go out on your shield. It, it's like we talked about with Gaethje. It's kill or be killed. Simple. Go out there and you gotta get the knockout, cause you know what the end result is if you don't. You can call a night, buddy. It's a wrap. So either you're gonna get knocked out or you're gonna knock him out. But either way, it'll be entertaining and that will add to your legacy. If he gets knocked out, so what? Then this trilogy goes down as one of the best trilogies of you know the current century. That's it. And if you knock him out, then you're you're in territory. One, you're gonna run it back. And that's going to make you a lot of money when you could have fans. So, like, there's nothing but benefits for Triple G. There's no reason to take tune-up fights. Because worst comes to worst, you lose. But you lost the other two, so who cares? Yeah, get your money, buddy. And that's it. So you keep moving. Um, last topic, in the same regards, but someone I would say to step aside and not take the immediate fight is Deontay Wilder. And there's rumblings of Fury and, and Joshua's camps talking and uh, I think I forgot MTK might be a middleman or something because I don't think Aram and Eddie Hearn really get along that well but whatever they're making a fight right now Joshua sooner or later they're making a fight Joshua's going to fight one of his one of Aram's fighters so um, I, I think personally going down this road it would be smart and talks are about having the fight in the Middle East to kind of offset this cost is to have Deontay Wilder step aside. He just had shoulder surgery. Let him heal. Let him have a tune-up fight. Um, and it doesn't have to be a cupcake fight. But there's other people. Dillian White's out there. There's um, other people who would be willing to fight Deontay Wilder to, to see what he has. Let him have one of those fights and let Tyson Fury kind of fight Anthony Joshua and unify this title. Make an undisputed heavyweight champion. And as long as Deontay Wilder's of the impression of, I have the next fight after that, I don't see how it's a loss at all for him. And he gets paid to step aside. Take 10, 15 mil to step aside and rehab. Easy money. And then still on top of that, go and have a fight with a Dillian White to kill time. And then next summer, hopefully, if coronavirus is handled and we got a better idea of things, then you have fans there for either a Fury trilogy or a Joshua fight. I, I, I don't understand what's so difficult stepping aside. To me, it's just pride at this point. That's exactly what it is. And that's why Deontay's not going to step aside. It's ridiculous. You're fucking up money for pride. Yeah, but that's what he's going to do. I mean, the fact of the matter is that there's a rematch clause. It's a big fight. And Deontay Wilder wants revenge. And he thinks he can beat Tyson Fury. Because he's basically put every excuse in the world in his pocket and brought him out. 
So the last thing he wants to happen is Anthony Joshua step in there and then they go on to have a series of fights that are huge. And Deontay's put on the back burner. I also gotta remember Deontay's not very young. He's older. But I think that because of the bicep surgery, because of the way you got molly whopped your last fight, sit your ass down, take a tune-up fight, yep. and then go after whoever wins the fight. Because what'll happen is that whoever Deontay fights, it's gonna be a huge fight because it'll be for the undisputed heavyweight title. Yep. That like Fury versus Joshua is a massive, massive fight. There will be a there will be one, cha- and that's what Deontay Wilder said all the time: one champion, one champion. So yeah, it won't be you, but there'll be one champion. So let the but then you get to go and beat someone and become the one yeah, champion. But it's just man, it's just Deontay's pride. Like Deontay's pride is the only thing that's gonna get in the way of this fight happening. He doesn't really like Anthony Joshua. He wants to prove that he didn't lose to Tyson Fury, and he doesn't want to be forgotten. And that's, it's hard for a guy who has that much on the line in Deontay Wilder to say, here, take this money and step aside. Because the other side is, I mean, listen, Kubrat Pulov doesn't want to step aside either. But I think you could pay him enough money to be like, you know what? All right, cool. Oh, definitely. So I think you could pay him. Wilder has to realize, though, like, yo, going back and coming off surgery, no tune-up, and getting washed again might be curtains for you. Yeah, but his ego says he can win. So it's like, to him, there's no losing this the rematch. It's not. I think JD's, his trainer, needs to tell him, like, dog, you're coming off a of bicep surgery. Sit down. Let's figure this out. Because we can't fight like we fought last time. But, th- again, that's the problem. Deontay Wilder doesn't believe that was him in the last fight. It was the suit. Mm. It was not there. All these other issues. When you have those built-in excuses, you think you're going to win the next fight. When you Then fight Pulev. Wasn't he supposed to fight Pulev anyway before Pulev popped? Uh, no, no, no. That was Povetkin. Um, Povetkin. Povetkin. Yeah. Excuse me. Let me not put that on Pulev. I mean, personally, Povetkin. I would like to see. But fight Pulev then. Th- and then you're just killing time together. There's, there's, there's like all these guys at heavyweight, right? Because you mentioned Dillian White. There's Derek Chisora. There's, got, there's Alexander Usyk who's still lingering out there too. But Dillian yep. White is a WBC number one guy. And Who's the young kid? Real quick before we go on. Who's the young kid you guys have? Who, uh, Michael Hunter? No, it's uh shit. It's like two D's in his name. I'll figure oh, it out. Oh, Dubois? Dubois. Yeah. Like all these guys are there. I like that kid too. Like it's it's time he he's one fight away from really testing himself. Yeah, there there's there are there are a lot of heavyweights that can make some noise. And if you're Deontay Wilder, you kinda look at it like somebody like Dillian White, yeah, you should probably put hands on him. He's he's the number one contender of the WBC and he's willing to fight you now. So Take the money, because it'll be a lot. Because if the rumors are true and Saudi Arabia is out here just throwing bags around, for you to step aside is probably going to be just as high as the payday for the fight. Word. Step aside. Chill out. You'll get your, you'll get your shot. And nothing's bigger for rehabilitation, even going out there, unless you think you can just wax Fury, which maybe he does. But nothing's bigger for the rehabilitation of your image and making more money in that Fury fight than getting another highlight KO. Yeah. Dillian White lost and got knocked out in highlight fashion by Joshua. Fight him. Do fight, yeah. Do like he he's he been knocked just top what Joshua did. The the bigger issue, actually the biggest issue, is not really going to be Deontay Wilder. It's gonna be Al Heyman. 
Al has to see the long term payment. Nah. And it's not that long term. He ain't gonna, it's dog, he ain't gonna see it. Six months later. Because, because this is how. You, then he's gonna lose a cash cow. But, but here's the thing like, Al Heyman is going to look at this and say, well, you know, this is Deontay's fight. If Deontay's not fighting, what's our biggest fight? Because that's his fighter. Now he's basically. PBC is now cut out. Fox is now cut out. This has now become a ESPN DAZN deal. Heyman's not going to be comfortable with that at all. You can put in the contract and rework it to say, Fury, you can do this, but your next there's no immediate rematch. Your next fight is with Wilder if you win. Done. Now, you can't control what goes on at Anthony Joshua's camp, but you can gamble on Fury beating Joshua and saying, no, you're not going to rematch him immediately. You have to fight this guy next. Done deal. And then if you want to keep all the money in-house and if you're worried about the the bag, you put Andy Ruiz against Deontay Wilder next. And you keep all money in-house because you represent both and Ruiz has a name. And you turn it into a four-man tournament type of format. I'm, I'm telling you, with Fox... You tell his ass to watch Andy Ruiz, which isn't easy. With Fox looking at this as we're losing out, it's going to be really hard for them to sit to watch the Saudi bag not come their way and to watch their guy get cut out of this. Because if, if for some reason Tyson Fury loses and Anthony Joshua becomes the undisputed champion, now you got to deal with, like, it's not it's not the, the, the relationship that you forged with Bob Arum. Now you have to deal with Eddie Hearn and the zone. That's a different ball game. And who knows, like, you think Anthony Joshua, you think they're going to be like, yeah, 50-50. Hell no. They already got a deal for Wilder Fury. The money's already there. You got to negotiate all over again with Anthony Joshua. Yeah. They don't want to do that. They're not going to want to do that. I Look, I get it. I think it's the right move for everybody. I think Wilder needs a tune-up fight. But, dude, they're not going to want to negotiate with Joshua if Joshua wins. They don't want to roll that dice. They want to take what they have right now. And cash out, whatever happens, happens, rather than being cut out and then being in a, in a position where Joshua's just like, not even Joshua, but just, you know, Eddie Hearn and Zone's like, nah, we're good. We're okay. Yeah. You're rolling the dice on Tyson Fury winning. Yeah. You don't, like, and something happens. Now you're dependent on someone and how well you think Tyson Fury would do against Joshua. Like, dude, if, if, if Joshua were to beat Tyson Fury... Then uh, yeah, then your whole shit goes up in yeah, smoke. So I don't think they want to run that risk. It's it's the right thing to do because like Wilder needs a tune up fight. But the business of boxing, yeah. like it always has, will get in the way. Yeah, because that's the that's the biggest problem. Because what are you going to do? Like they can literally play keep away with the belts if Joshua wins, because he can fight Dillian White. They can fight Usyk. Then he can fight Dubois. Like you never get another shot at being unified or undisputed world champion. You know what Deontay Wilder turns into? Gennady Golovkin. Ugh. Because he can't, he can't fight the guy. He can't fight the guy he's after. Yeah. It sucks, but it's politics of boxing. Cold world. Um, nah, man, that's our show for today. So we went through multiple things, MMA, boxing, sexy-ass Joe Scott. <laughs> so it was a really good show. Thank you guys for tuning in. Shout-out to the sponsors. Shout-out to Blue Chew. Shout-out to the network Blue Wire. 
And also follow us on social media at Corner Podcast underscore me at Kel Dansby, him at Andreas Hale. We'll be back on Thursday talking pro wrestling. We have tons to talk about on that front as well. We have a pay-per-view money in the bank coming up that we have to predict and the weekly shows from this week. So hopefully you guys join us then. Until then, though, we're out. Peace.